Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our update for the week ending 1st of March 2024. Pinch punch, first of the month, or at least it was when this Green Edge podcast episode was posted. And we're talking about the second in our mini series of guest posts, which went out yesterday. Now, this one is from Tim Jackson, who is a councillor of a parish close to the venerable city of Winchester, ancient seat of the Belgai tribe, formerly the Roman city of Venta Belgarum and then the Saxon Venta Keister, and of course, Alfred the Great's capital after he upped sticks and became upwardly mobile from his hometown of Wantage on the other side of the North Wessex Downs. But enough of this history in a bottle. Michael and I first met Tim in his capacity as a member of the board of City of Portsmouth Further Education College when we talked to him and his teaching colleagues for a post we ran on the college in June of last year. And we subsequently found that alongside his college duties, Tim is, as we said, a parish councillor and also a trustee of Winchester Action on Climate Crisis, a gentleman of many parts indeed. Now, Tim's post talks about the community energy scheme he's involved with in his parish, and he mentions a few others in Hampshire and the surrounding area, including Dragonfly Power, which is building a low-carbon community in the Test Valley around Andover, and other schemes in places like Hambledon, Overton, and Petersfield. Now, the scheme that Tim holds up as a shining example of community energy is West Solent Solar in the New Forest, which went so far as to establish itself as a co-op with 483 members who between them invested 2.6 million to build a 2.4 megawatt solar farm that went live all the way back in 2014 and generates enough energy to power 650 homes. Now, Michael, I did the sums on this and 2.6 million quid between 483 people is over five grand each. So it might be easy to conclude that community energy is just about rich communities building solar farms in leafy Hampshire and areas like that. But Tim's whole point is it's not like that, is it? Far from it. If you look at the number of community energy groups across England, and there's an annual report that covers this area, it's possibly touching 500 And those 500 groups are in all forms of all communities. If you zone in on one he picks up on, which is up in the West Midlands in Birmingham, that is in Balsall Heath, which is also part of a triumvirate that led to the creation of Community Energy Birmingham, the old Core 50 group. And you find those groupings working a bit like Heat the Streets. Now, Heat the Streets is one which is down in Cornwall, which has partnered with a major commercial business called Kenser Pumps. And you find these community groups aren't just trying to do good works themselves with their own cash, that they're leveraging the potential out of major commercial partners who see the opportunity to provide energy and equipment to a whole raft of different homes. Now, if you take the community groups in England, they are now generating 331 megawatts has been installed by 2021. That's enough electricity for 83,000 homes. So not insignificant. And the beauty of these schemes also is they're providing both ways of engaging, development of understanding, and also the acquisition of skills and expertise to make decisions and actually make these changes yourself in your own home. Now, I think that one that you mentioned in Cornwall is in Stythians. Is it Stythians or St. Ithians? I think it's Stythians. Anyway, the community energy example that Tim gives in his post, the Balsall Heath example you mentioned there, Michael, it's not actually budged as community energy, is it? The scheme that was launched there in 2022 by John Christophers, who's an architect, 
who actually built the UK's first zero carbon house in Balsall Heath all the way back in 2009. But the scheme in Balsall Heath is called Retrofit Balsall Heath. Uh, And that's Tim's whole point, isn't it? As he says in the header of his post, community energy is what a community makes of it. And that takes into account the type of space available, the competencies and advice on hand and the cash available, of course. It does. And I think this ties back to a conversation we had with the Church of England. They are parts of the community. They own large buildings within virtually every community across the UK. And I can't see why these community energy groups can't harness the roofs of those churches. Enough of them do it already to maximise the generation for the local community, possibly even a local school. So there's some really powerful things going on there. And I think the point that Tim made to us is lots of the people he was talking to and involving have got a strong streak of natural conservatism. I'm using that without the blue label on it. Small C. Small C, to put it mildly. But they are being very proactive because they're wanting to do their bit to make sure the world has a future for themselves and their children, their children's children. And I think that was quite a powerful message that Tim shares there. I certainly agree with that. Now, one final thing from Tim is that he points to a great source of information for communities who are looking for guidance on how to set up a community energy scheme. And that source is the Centre for Sustainable Energy on cse.org.uk. And on the subject of retrofit, CSE has just published a retrofit guide and the link for that is also included in Tim's post. And you can find this week's guest post from Tim Jackson, thanks to Tim, on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your usual podcasts. Now, staying with our theme of place-based actions for sustainability, one person and one company that knows this subject well is Will Taylor of GemServe. Now, GemServe describes itself as an expert provider of professional services in a world driven by data and technology. And Will is a senior consultant in its low-carbon practice. We met Will last year in relation to a research study that reported in April 2023 and was commissioned by the Southwest Net Zero Hub to scope out the retrofit requirements for the region, and that included the installation of heat pumps and the deployment of insulation measures. Well, Will told us in his blog in January that GemSurf has now been commissioned by the Southwest Net Zero Hub to develop a regional skills plan relating to net zero buildings and retrofit. So we'll be watching to see how that develops over the course of 2024. And let's finish this episode with a snippet from our chat with Will in November of last year, giving us his perspective on how he's seen plans and actions for sustainability vary around the country. Talk to you next time. It very much depends on the kind of ambition of the area. For example, in the Southwest, in addition to one overall report we did on retrofit specifically, we did three reports for the three local enterprise partnerships in the area. And they had really different priorities that they wanted us to look into. Priorities from floating offshore wind to hydrogen to maritime carbon capture and storage to EVs and EV charging points. So it very much depends on the geography of a region. So for example, you can only have floating offshore wind if you have coastline in your area. Some areas are interested particularly in solar. You might be a more rural area that has a lot of farmland and and you want to build solar farms. But if you're more urban, 
you might have more of a priority on houses and, and on and supporting individual homeowners. So I think those are big priorities, but some of them are common. So the ones that are probably common that seem to be cross-cutting are home retrofit, insulation and decarbonization of homes, whether that's heat pumps, whether that's hydrogen, whether that's bio-LPG. Solar. So as I said, there might be kind of individual homes versus solar farms that people are interested in or EVs. So EV charging points and repair and in certain places, manufacturing is where the divergence is, but certainly skills for charging point rollout. So I think that's probably the core. And then outside of that, you tend to get more variation in terms of what are the features of the area? What's their ambitions? So, for example, when we were talking to Solent Lep, we were talking to them about hydrogen. So using the old industrial infrastructure to store hydrogen. Whereas that isn't available to a local authority or an area in rural Devon, where instead they're thinking about using thermal from old mines. So what happens is you start to talk to local areas and get very much into their economic planning, their ambitions. But what are the physical and geographical features of of the area and how does that impact the way they want to think about the carbon transition? That's one of the more fun parts of the job, actually. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.